How we doing, church? Yeah. Feeling good? Man, how great was that worship? So good. Let's give it up for our worship team. That was amazing. Man, you guys have great pastors. Pastor Eddie and Roxanne are just literally two of the best. My wife and I love, love them, and have enjoyed the last few years of just getting to know them, connect. And they, they may say they're in Washington, but they actually told me they're in Maui on vacation. So uh, just playing, just playing, just playing. No, it's, it's, I, love, I love how they lead. I love how they care for and minister uh, to this church and so many others. And they're just uh, they're a blessing. You guys are, are blessed people. You know, I, I think it's always so important. I, I've never been a lead pastor myself. I've always been in the position of serving teams and, and, and serving those who lead, uh, lead our churches. And, you know, I think sometimes we can forget, you know, when you're on the, what I call like, almost like the tip of the spear that's trying to push the kingdom of God forward, the enemy's always trying to mess with people who are out front, who are stepping out or leading the way. And it doesn't mean that there aren't many others who are helping carry the weight. But, you know, enemy knows, man, if I can take out the kingpin, if I can take out the, the lead man and woman, I can mess with a, with a group of people. And so it's so important that we pray for our leaders, right? You know what I mean? We, we pray and just lift them up, help fight that fight that, uh, that the enemy would try to mess with them. We get a chance to surround and encourage. So um, keep, keep, uh, keep uh, thinking on about them, praying for them, believing um, just that God's favor and protection is going to be on them. Amen? Amen. Hey, I'm excited to be with you guys this morning, and I uh, loved uh, love just uh, spending some time uh, with Max and, and uh, Teresa last night. And my, my wife and my two girls are here. They're going to be in the second service, but I'll introduce in case you don't know them yet. Let me just put up this photo. If they got of my family, this is my, uh, my beautiful family here, uh, just suffering for Jesus down in San Diego. And... Um, and <laughs> I'm wishing it was, it was that beautiful right now, that, that rain, you know. Like I said, the drought's over. But it's my um, beautiful wife, Katie. We've been married for just over 15 years. And uh, so that's exciting. And then on my left here is, is Mercedes, my eldest. She's nine, going on 10. Y'all about to have a 10-year-old. Hello. And uh, she's a beautiful artist and just draws relentlessly. And then I figured my second born would be a little bit crazy. You can see that in her eyes there. You see that in her eyes? So uh, I called her Kenzie, which means fiery princess. So, and that is exactly what she is. So it's, it, it's, it's a lot of fun, and uh, they're going to be with me in, in the last service. So, but um, better take that photo down, or they're not going to be able to pay attention to me because I got just such beautiful family. Hey, hey happy Super Bowl Sunday. Anybody want to admit they're not cheering for the Rams in here? Any, any Patriots fans want to go down a limb and... Eagles? Okay. I, I lived in Seattle for a while, so I'm a Seahawks fan, so I'm just crying either way. Nothing's happening. So it's a, it's a, it's a dark time for me. And, uh, but uh, I'm not going to tell you who I am or not cheering for. And, uh, but since I'm in L.A., go Rams. Let's go. Come on, somebody. Hey. Uh, I see a red jersey over there, so he's not clapping, so that's fine. <laughs> uh, man, I... I'm excited to bring the word, and let me begin with this declaration that God can use anyone from anywhere at any time to do anything. Let me repeat that again. God can use anyone from anywhere at any time to do anything. I'm believing that God's going to 
shoot some fresh faith into our life here again this morning. God can use anyone from anywhere at any time to do anything. I kind of hope I repeat that enough to where it echoes in your mind all week and reminds you of this truth. Let me point our attention to 1 Samuel chapter 14. Yes, I know I'm preaching from a book with my name on it, but, you know, give me some grace. I'm a fan. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14, we kind of get into this few stories of, we're going to talk about Jonathan and his armor bearer for a moment, but it's the lead up to the iconic David and Goliath story. But in, in 1 Samuel 14, we, we come on a couple of verses where we get some insight on how David thought that you and me have got to get a personal revelation of as well. So in this scenario, King Saul is kind of taking on the Philistines and they're in a waiting pattern. They're, they're, they're waiting for some orders to kind of step out. And his son Jonathan, who's also a military leader, is getting a little antsy and wants to just do something, okay? He, he, he's tired of the campfires. He's tired of waiting around for what's next. He's like, let's go. He's kind of itching to, to get out there and, and make something happen. And in 1 Samuel chapter 14, let's, let's maybe do verse um, 4. On each side of the pass that Jonathan had intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost, there was a cliff. One was called Bozes, the other Seneth. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash and the other to the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will work on our behalf. How about that for a step of faith? He's like, he might. Let's see. <laughs> Let's go. And then, But I love the follow-up part to that verse. He says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. He says, nothing can hinder the Lord. Someone say nothing. I love this reminder. This is, this is something Jonathan understood. He understood that maybe we're going to be outnumbered and maybe whatever, but he said nothing hinders God. You know that we serve the unhindered God, right? Well, we serve the God of all gods, the, the Lord of all lords, the maker of heaven and earth. And sometimes in the middle of life, we can forget that, right? We start thinking that maybe life is too big or circumstances get too massive, but nothing hinders God. Not, not even an ounce, not even all all the weight of the universe, if they wrapped a rope around God, if you could even do that, and attempted to all simultaneously tug on God as if you're like tugging on the back of your shirt, not even all of the universe could even slow down the, pro the process of God, the purposes of God. Nothing hinders God. Nothing holds him back. Nothing slows him down. And David understood this, and I, or Jonathan did, um, and I love how he then breaks it down. He goes, Nothing hinders the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Now, I love this concept because basically what he's saying is, whether you feel like you have all that you need, many, or you feel like you got nothing that you need, few, has no impact on God's ability to do the miraculous in your life. Because, you know, sometimes each of us come into this scenario with different, maybe things we're facing. Maybe in some areas we feel like we got what we need. Maybe we feel like we got more than we need. Thank God for that. But there may be other parts of our life where we're like, man, I'm, I, 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 I'm lacking what I need in this situation. Whether it be in finances or, or relationships or, or in health, whatever the situation is, whether you got all that you need or you feel like you have nothing that you need has no impact on God's ability 
to work in your life. No impact on God's ability to do what he has said that he would do in your life. See, God can use anyone from anywhere at any time to do anything. God can use anyone from anywhere at any time to do anything. Let me pray and then let me unpack this, this concept. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for meeting us here in worship today. God, I just bless this incredible church. Amazing people, beautiful families, touch of God on every single one of them, we pray. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Reveal your word to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So here's the reality with me making a declaration like that, that God can use anyone from anywhere at any time to do anything. In some ways, many of us in the room might nod our head, Shout an amen, but inside, there'd be many of us in the room that automatically start going, yeah, but not me. It's like this voice that I would call like the second-guessing voice, that even though I'm making this declaration, even though I've declared one of the verses that says that nothing hinders the Lord, and you go, yeah, okay, wait a second, you're saying God can use anyone? Like, I mean, I know there's, God is good and God can use people, but I, I don't know if you know my situation. And then I say... He can use anyone at any t or from anywhere. Yeah, but what about my story? You don't know my family. You don't know my situation. At any time, maybe some in the room feel like, man, I I'm too young. Or maybe you feel like you're too old and you just, what are you talking about? I I'm telling you what to do, absolutely anything. And when we make that kind of declaration, we start going, yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, but you don't know. And we get to second guessing. And you know what? That is actually one of the primary tactics of the enemy from day one. Remember with Satan in the Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve, and God had given them everything, and they said, there's just one thing, you can't eat for that, that tree. Which, side note, why are they hanging by the one thing that they can't touch? You know what I'm saying? Talk about humanity. That, that's us, right? Like, you can't touch it. You talk to your kids. I have two little kids. Don't touch that. What are they doing? Touching that one thing. You got a dog. And you say, you can't go in that living room. What are they doing? They're inching their paws up to that living room. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like we have this instinct of response to push the edge and to end up putting ourselves in that position where we can hear the, the devil speaking to us. If Adam and Eve had stayed away from that tree, they may not have been tempted by what he was trying to say. But anyways, they're by the tree, and they hear Satan talking, and Satan says, hey, this fruit's good. You should have some. And Eve says, no, nah, no. Nah. God said, no. We eat that, we're going to die. And what does the devil do right from the get-go? He asks a question. He tries to get Adam and Eve to second-guess God. And what does he say? He asks a question. He says, did God really say? Right? Right from the start, he's trying to get Adam and Eve to second-guess the Word of God. This is an ancient tactic, and he is continuing to try to do the exact same thing to you and me even today. He's trying to get you and me to go, did God really say that? You know, what about that thing you felt God promised you? Maybe recently or maybe years ago, some promise from the Holy Spirit, something God spoke to you about your family or about your future or about that career or about that calling, but the enemy's constantly trying to go, man, did God really, did, was that just a hype moment? You just think you heard God? Did God really say? And the thing is, 
it, it, he's going to constantly try to get us to second guess the word of God, but also the goodness of God. You know, in that scenario with, with, the, with the devil, with Adam and Eve, he, he basically says, no, he goes, no, if you eat it, God knows you're going to be like him. Oh, man, you're going to know good and evil. Man, you're going to, it's like you're going to go to another level. And so he's basically trying to get them to believe this lie that God is not good, that God is holding out on them, that God's trying to withhold something from them, that God is stopping them from experiencing goodness as if God is some big bad God. And, you know, isn't that the same kind of second-guessing question? It's one of the most prevalent questions around the entire earth. It's usually phrased something like this, if God is good, then why has this bad stuff happened? Isn't that one of the most common questions? And it literally started in the Garden of Eden from the very beginning. Oh, no, no, if, if God was good, then he would let you eat this fruit, right? And so this is what the enemy is constantly attempting to do, is to get you and me to begin to second guess what God has said, to get to begin to second guess. But, but here's what you and me have to figure out. And this is what Jonathan understood, and we're going to look into David's life. This is what we understood, is you and me have to learn how to begin to second guess the second guesser, okay? we, we got to learn how to push back against what the enemy is trying to do in our lives. I, I know this has been a journey for me. And let's, let's talk a little bit first about David. So Jonathan's buddy David, then later on in chapter 16, 17, 18, as the story of David and Goliath kind of unfolds, we see that David was somebody who from the beginning was constantly getting second guessed in the calling, his purpose, his identity. The enemy was constantly trying to take David out in the potential that God had for him, constantly trying to get him to doubt what God had said. So if you remember, the, the prophet Samuel is told by God to say, hey, go to the house of Jesse, and you're going to anoint one of, the, one of his sons as the next king of Israel. So they let Jesse know, hey, I'm coming over, bring your boys out. This is a big deal for Jesse. You know, he's about to become a part of the royal family. I mean, that, that's pretty sweet, right? He's about to be in the king's palace at some point when one of his sons ascends to that throne. This, this would be an epic deal. If it was current modern day, the news camera crews would be out. I mean, this would be the big, you know, announcement of the next king. So David, I mean, Jesse brings his boys in. He lines them up. The prophet rolls in. He's got his, like, horn of anointing. Well, he's ready to go, right? He's ready to anoint one of the kings. And right away, he sees the first son. He's like, this has got to be him. No, God says it's not him. So he kind of is going down the line of all the boys. And imagine if you're the prophet, you don't get things wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he don't make mistakes, but here he is running out of options. You know what I'm saying? God keeps going, not him, not him. Same as maybe starting to sweat a little bit. Like, oh, God, this better be right. You know, you said Jesse, right? <laughs> House of Jesse, okay. And so he keeps going down. He gets to the end, and, and God said, no, no, I haven't chosen any of these. And so the prophet's probably a little confused. He's like, Jesse, you, do you have, are there other kids? And Jesse's like, oh, that's right. <laughs> I do have one more. His name's David. He's out with the sheep. And Samuel's like, hey, go get him. We're not, we're not leaving this place until he gets out here. And, you know, I thought first, I was like, man, Jesse must just be a punk. Why would he leave his son David out? And then I was like, okay, let me give him the benefit of the doubt. You know what? Maybe he just had a mess of kids. He thought David was in the lineup. 
Anyone here come from a family of a lot of kids? Don't, don't be judging Jesse. Y'all have left a lot of your kids at, at home or at parks or at church several times. I can't, that's why I only had two kids. I'm nervous. I'll lose one, you know. Uh, I grew up with a family of six kids, and uh, the people get left. Okay, let's, let's, just, let's just get real, you know. Hopefully my mom don't listen to this recording. I love you. Uh, people are getting left. Right, and then especially you get older, and you got six kids. You can only fit in this big, massive Ford Econoline van with that sliding door on the side, that you know, racing red pinstripe. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so, you know, you, you open up a door, and that many kids kid out. They expect like a performance. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like do a pyramid, juggle, do something. You know what I mean? But anyway, so we, um, and, and then later on, you start going to church, and you know. Dad thinks mom has some of the kids. Mom thinks dad has. You get home and you realize Peter's still at the church. You're like, oh, man. <laughs> Pete's at church crying, you know, having to get deliverance. And um, so one time it was, uh, you know, I think probably some baseball practice I was doing. I don't think it was a game. But my parents, you know, with all those kids, you know, they're dropping, you know, they're like professional chauffeurs at that point. You have six kids trying to bring kids to all the sporting events and, and so uh, I'd gotten tired of getting picked up late because my family was a little notoriously late as well. And so I finally was like, I dodged the coaches. You know, like after it was done, I was like, I know my parents were going to come and get me because I don't want to have to answer that question from the coach. Like, hey, where's your parents? I'm like, I don't know. Like, there's even a 50-50 chance I'm getting picked up at all. <laughs> this may be it. This may be it for me. I, don't, I have no idea. Uh, this is back before cell phones. You know what I'm saying? So nobody's calling nobody. It was just like... Jesus, you know, help, you know, that was it. And uh, so I, <laughs> I, I dodged everybody, so everyone's gone. Literally, it's these empty ballparks. Literally, I'm the last kid there. It's like a perfect setup for a Disney movie. And, uh, you know, it's just getting dark. Nobody's around. And then sure enough, it starts raining, right? So I'm like, just this little kid <laughs> out there. Nobody's around. All the buildings are locked. I have no shelter. The only thing open I go to was a porta potty. So I have to go inside this porta potty to get shelter from the rain. I'm in there, and then I have to stand up like on the seat so I can see up the slats in the door so I don't get left. You know what I mean? I don't want parents to come in and leave and me still be in the porta potty. So I'm looking out. Now, thankfully, I did not fall in. Thank you, Jesus. Otherwise, I might still be there. You know what I mean? But I. All of a sudden, you know, however many minutes later, you know, that van comes just hustling around the corner, squealing in. I, th I think they figure, man, if we come in hot, he'll feel like we still love him. You know what I'm saying? So, and, uh, but, but honestly, I'm like, maybe, that's, maybe that was Jesse's deal. Maybe Jesse just thought David was in the lineup, and then he realized, shoot, I lost one. Uh, but you know what? I know that wasn't the case because actually we find out later on, as David is described differently from his brothers, his mom is referenced differently, there is a strong chance that David was actually kind of the byproduct of an illegitimate relationship that Jesse had had. And so he was embarrassed, probably didn't want to bring that kid in front of the prophet, didn't want to have to deal with that, um, with the prophet, expose that part of his life that he wasn't happy about or that he felt embarrassed about. And so right from the get-go, David 
is getting second-guessed by his dad. David is getting marginalized by his dad and by his family members and doesn't even get invited to the king's ceremony situation. So then he comes in, and of course, that's the man. That's who God has chosen. He gets anointed, the whole deal. But then he goes back to the sheep. Brothers at some point end up going off to war to fight against the Philistines. And then dad says to David, hey, here's some food. Go bring some lunch to your brothers. Well, as soon as he shows up, again, people are just second-guessing his character, who he is. And then he starts hearing the giant's taunts. He's starting to ask about, okay, who is this giant? Who's going to take this guy out? And again, keeps getting second-guessed. In 1 Samuel 17, uh, verse 28, it says, When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness, right? Just putting jabs at him. Just trying to second-guess his ability, his capacity, his character, right? Um, and he says, I know, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. I mean, there could, have been the, could not have been a farther from the truth kind of lie about David and his character. But David has to keep constantly dealing with this second guessing of his potential. Then he's talking it up and finally King Saul hears that this young kid is piping off about taking out the giant. So he says, okay, David, come in. So he comes in, he's talking with King Saul and David's trying to explain how he's gonna take out the giant. And Saul is not a great encourager. In, in uh, verse 33 of chapter 17, Saul replied to David, you are not able. That's a bad start to a pep talk, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. So, so David is getting second-guessed by the king in that point. He's getting second-guessed in his potential, the, the second-guesser voice. And you know, that comes to us sometimes, through family even sometimes, through a boss through a coworker, through our bank account yelling at us, you know, through the health report, whatever it is, everything God has said, the enemy is good to try to bring a second-guessing voice. Someone to begin to, well, but did God really say? Because he'd been anointed as the next king of Israel, but everyone's saying, you can't do it. You're conceited. You, you, got, you got, you know, a wrong heart, wrong spirit, wrong motive. And all these voices trying to get him to second guess the purposes of God, the will of God. And then ultimately he comes against the second guesser, the giant. And as he goes out to fight Goliath, says in verse 41, the Philistine with the shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over. I, I, I get a kick out of this commentary here. He looked at David over. He saw that he was little more than a boy. Listen to this glowing with health and handsome. Like what a random comment in the Bible. First of all, there's no way they could have, they could have interviewed the giant to know what he was thinking about David's beautifulness. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, uh, whoever wrote this, which I kind of wonder, did David get a hand in this later on? It's scripting some of this possibly. When the giant saw me. I mean, don't write it from first person. Change it up a little bit. He looked at me and noticed how good-looking I was, you know. I just think that's funny. 
Why is the giant so focused on how good looking David is? He must have been really good looking, okay? He's glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. Maybe he had better hair. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Verse 43 says, and David said, or he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild animals. But David, he, he, David doesn't step back in that moment because he understood what, what Jonathan had said, that nothing hinders the Lord. He understood in that moment that I'm going to second guess the second guesser. And he comes back at him and he like doubles down, verse 45. You come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'm going to strike you down. This is where it gets intense. I'm going to cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses. He's like, the giant says, I'm going to take you out, David. But he, he like doubles it up. He goes, I'm going to take your whole army. Your, everyone's getting fed to the birds. You know what I mean? And the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for it is the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into my hands. So David stands up against the second guesser, and he boldly declares, come on, I understand. David said, nothing hinders the God that I serve. He understood that my limitations as a young, inexperienced fighter doesn't limit God. You see, our limitations don't limit God. See, a lot of times we take on life always sizing up the enemy based upon our own strength and ability, and we got to stop. we got to realize that your limits isn't what limits God. The things you think hold you back doesn't hold God back. He is unhindered. He's unstoppable. God is able to do and perform and fulfill the word of God that he spoke to you because God can use anyone from anywhere at any time to do anything. Anybody starting to believe it yet? Come on. Come on. God can use anyone from anywhere at any time to do anything. Let me talk through each of those phrases a little bit. God can use anyone. You know, it's interesting. A lot of times we disqualify ourselves from a thought like that. Oh, maybe God just uses people who feel like they're preachers. Or God just uses perfect people. I, I'm telling you what, that's the farthest thing from the truth. All you got to read is the Bible and look at, you know, all of our lives to realize that God doesn't pick people that are perfect. He just picks people that are available, that are willing, and use anyone who say yes to him. I, I love it, for the disciples, I mean, of course, the disciples uh, are legends and they're why we're here today because they took what God, Jesus gave them, they ran with it, and through the Holy Spirit, it says that they turned the world upside down. But you know the commentary about the disciples? If I was the disciples in hindsight, I would be like, can we update that a little bit? But the commentary about the disciples was that they were untrained, ordinary men. How would you like the history book to record your name like that? I'd be like, can we update that a little bit? Like, what about all those miracles we did later on? You know what I'm saying? It's like they were untrained, ordinary men. That, that, that's the statement about the 12 disciples, and that's who Jesus picked. Jesus chose these people. Jesus chose these individuals. It wasn't because they were on the top uh, of, uh, of the honor roll at the, lo the local synagogue. He chose these people because he saw what 
what he had put in them. He, he called out the greatness. He called out the purpose, potential. But ultimately, God is able to use anyone that is willing, anyone that's available. And maybe some in this room are very educated. And you did come from great families. God can still use our lives. It's not like he only has to use people who maybe didn't, you know, graduate from college. The, the, the point is that God can use anybody. God isn't just looking for people that measure up to some certain status or, or position or, or place. God is able to use any single one of us that are willing, available, and able. He can use anyone. He used me. He's used my life to, to help serve and, 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 and reach people. And I don't have any reason to believe that that could have been my life or, or my situation, which I'll talk about in a little bit. God can use anyone. Don't count yourself out. God can use your life. God wants to use your life right now. Not someday, not, you didn't miss it, you didn't, it's not past and it's not coming in the future. He wants to use your life right now. God can use anyone that he wants. I mean, remember, God used a donkey so he can use us. Come on, somebody. Number two, God can use us from anywhere. You know, sometimes I think we may assume that maybe it, it's based upon sometimes our geography or maybe we have to come from some big city or we have to come from some level of prominence or we have to have a certain network to, to be able to be used to do something great for God. But I'm telling you what, God can pluck us out of anywhere. Even Jesus, it was said about him, man, can anything good come from Nazareth, right? That was the statement about Jesus came from. So if anyone, wherever you live, if anyone said like, oh, Okay, you came from that area? Oh, okay, you came from that situation and from that family? Man, nobody ever makes it in that area. Nobody, I'm telling you what, that's how they talked about Jesus, about where he came from, the spot he came from. And for me, I, I grew up in Minnesota area in kind of a suburban, kind of rural part. It's called Invergrove Heights. Probably never heard of it. Just kind of a smaller area to a great family, but not, not of wealth, not of any specific note. My dad was a carpenter, mom was, you know, homeschooled us. So I was this homeschool kid from kind of nowhere, Minnesota. But there was something in me that I was like, man, I just feel like I, I want to make a difference. I feel like there's something on the inside of me that feels called to, to help impact people's lives, to help, make, uh, to help see people get transformed, to, to begin to minister, you know, as a pastor. But even as a young kid, I always had this thought, and I had no reason to believe it. I was, I was like, man, I want to change the world. I would say that all the time as a young kid. I, I had no excuse in the natural to make that kind of declaration, but I just felt that was something God kept saying, come on, I'm going to use you to, to do something incredible. And I, I just, I had no reason to believe in the natural, but God can use anyone from anywhere. It doesn't matter where we're from. It doesn't matter what situation we're in. I, but I just kind of kept believing that. And it was like God, God in the middle of nowhere could kind of pull you up out of your situation. So if right now you feel overlooked, if you feel unnoticed, if you feel passed over, if you feel like nobody sees, I'm telling you what, God does not need any other person to promote and to see if God has put his hand on your life for something, God's put a dream on the inside of your heart, God's called you to something. Do not worry about your current situation because God can use us from anywhere that we are. He can pluck us up out of a situation and use us to fulfill the purposes of God. And now years later, 
uh, he mentioned that book, Following Jesus. This isn't a book sales plug. But I just, God really stirred me to create this resource for new believers. It's seven next steps after you choose to follow Jesus. I had no idea what God was going to do with that. And it released it a little over two years ago. And now it's, it's in English and Spanish. And it's in the process of being translated to Arabic, to Creole, to French, and soon to be German. And it's being used in over eight countries. And we're just seeing thousands and thousands of people getting discipled and developed. And I say that not to brag, but to just say that if God can use a homeschool kid from nowhere, Minnesota, to help impact the world in different ways, that God can use your life, right? God can use you right where you are. And he can use this at any time, at any time. You know what? One of the biggest lies of the enemy, one of the biggest second-guessing things that the devil tries to do in our life is that when we're young, he tries to get you to believe that you're too young to make a difference, right? You're too young. You don't experience what makes you think you're going to step out and start that business or write that book or do that thing or, or be, you know, uh, you know, share your faith or be a witness or, or take, you know, get that promotion or whatever it is. When you're young, the enemy tries to get you to believe that you're too young. But then if you believe that lie and wait a little while, then the enemy hits you with the other side of that and says, man, you're too old. You missed it. You passed the expiration date. Oh, man, you should have jumped on that dream when you are younger. And you're like, man, you told me not to. He goes, yeah, I know. That's what I do. I lie. Okay? So the, the devil's going to try to constantly get you to second guess. He'll try to get you to think you're too young or get you thinking you're too old. But I'm telling you what, at any time, God can use your life. Or maybe sometimes he tries to get, gets us to believe, man, I, you don't know my story, the, the sin I've done, the bad things I've done. I, I'm too broken. I, I'm too dirty. I'm too used. Man, God can use the good kids. God can use the, the pure people, those who, who haven't messed up as much as I have. And I'm telling you what, that's one of the biggest lies of the enemy, that God has to, that he only uses perfect people. Oh, my Lord. Man, if you read the Bible, you know that's not true. <laughs> I mean, even in Jesus' own family line, he has got prostitutes and murderers and drug, I mean, like alcoholics, I mean, even in the family line that ultimately brought Jesus to the planet is a messed up family line. And if God would choose on purpose to have his son born through that kind of family, he is just shouting loudly for all of eternity, for every single one of us to remember that it don't matter. All of that, God can use your life right now. Amen. God can use your life. And if you remember in Hebrews 11, it's kind of listen to the heroes of faith, right? And, and for Abraham and Sarah, God had said, you're going to be the father and mother of many nations. Big deal, but it's a, it's a problem when you don't have kids. You know what I'm saying? To be the father of many nations. And initially, there was no problems when they were young enough to physically have kids. It was all right. We're like, hey, well, we know God's going to give us kids. It's all good. But then they reached past the age of childbearing past the point of, of it being physically possible to produce children. And in that age, that past expiration date sort of age, God comes back to him and renews the promise, reminds him of what he said. 
Say, listen, I told you you're going to have a child. I told you that knowing all that was going to go on. God didn't say, listen, I, I'm going to give you a child, but if you get too old or if the circumstances don't line up, then we revoke that promise. No, if he said it, he's declaring it, then it will come to pass. And the Bible says that, that Sarah was enabled to give birth because she believed that he was faithful who had made the promise, right? So even when it seemed like it was past expiration, even when it seemed like, man, I, I just don't see it all, all can happen, she leaned in and said, come on, but I know the one who promised it. Come on, I'm going to remind myself that the God who gave me that word, the God that spoke that dream in my heart, this isn't just some nice thought. This is the one and only God of heaven and earth who can literally shift things in a moment. And if he spoke it, I'm going to believe it. So I'm telling you what, you may feel like you're too young. Sometimes I've felt like that. Man, who am I to step out? Who am I to write that book? Right? I had a publisher with that following Jesus book. I had a publisher say, yeah, it's probably not going to work, so we're not interested in it. Right? Well, what's up now? Okay, so that's just, that's just me coming out there for a second. Um, literally, we've... Uh, We've teamed, up, we've teamed up with some different mission organizations as well to really uh, donate that as well. So some um, into some different uh, One Nation One Day in uh, Nicaragua and now we're working in Peru. So bef we, we've seen, you know, man, 175,000 of these books going out into churches all over the place. And, and this year, the work in Peru, we may end up... Um, the goal is to have 250,000 of the Spanish version of the book uh, all over that nation making disciples. So, anyways, shout out to agents who don't get it right. Come on, somebody. And you know what? That just goes to show there's going to be people who don't try, but they're going to try to second guess the dream that's on the inside of you. They're going to say things. They don't mean it. This person wasn't trying to be harsh or, or squash what God was doing, but they just didn't see it. And some people aren't going to see it. But you have to keep holding on to what you know God has said. Amen? And I'm going to invite the band to come up and help me close out as I kind of just share the last thing. So God can use anyone from anywhere at any time to do anything. God, God can use you to do anything. To do anything. You know that one thing when I said anything that you thought in your mind, yeah, but not that thing? Yes, that thing. <laughs> that, that thing, anything. All things are possible. God, if God's put something inside of you, stop trying to negotiate with God to reduce the dream down to something you think can happen in your own ability. If God has spoken to you about it, stretch your faith. Keep stepping out. Keep believing that God is able to do the impossible. Keep trusting Him. Keep believing for it. And in a moment, I want to pray over people who maybe there's been some things in your life where the enemy has talked you out of it. I believe God is wanting to bring that back to life again. Maybe some of you have faced some discouragement in the things that, that you're going after. Maybe some of you have allowed the enemy to talk you out of some stuff. Get you to second guess. But I want to remind you that if God has spoke it, he's able to fulfill it. Amen? Remember young Mary the one that God chose to be the one who would carry Jesus into planet Earth. Angel shows up, makes the big announcement, and Mary's you know, overwhelmed, obviously, but she just says, man, I'm, 
ask the natural question, I'm a virgin, how's this going to happen? Basic science question here, you know. And I love how the angel responds. She just says, basically, the work that God is going to do in you is going to be from the Holy Spirit. See, a lot of times, we God gives us a, a word, or we read something in the Bible, or we get a prophetic word, or we feel the Holy Spirit giving us a, a dream, or a passion, or a calling, and we start asking the question, but God, how's this going to happen? How are you going to make this work? Because my natural circumstances do not line up with this word that you just gave me. Oh, you know, here we go, Samuel's in town, he's getting me all hyped up to make a difference or to fulfill this dream. Yeah, but my situation doesn't line up with all that nice faith dialogue that he's preaching about. And you just remember Mary, and she just goes, how's this going to happen? And God says, I'm getting involved. <laughs> That's the X factor. That's the difference. That these things that God has called you to do is not something you've got to fulfill in your own strength. God has spoken. God will fulfill. And the work that he's going to do in and through your life is going to be the Holy Spirit, supernatural power, supernatural strength to help you fulfill and step into those things that are impossible in the natural. There may be people literally in this room who you've been praying to have children. You haven't been able to. How's that going to happen? I believe that God is going to get name of Jesus. Life is going to come. You're going to have a child in the name of Jesus. Maybe that healing that you're trying to believe for, it hasn't come. In the name of Jesus, be healed. I want to pray for some people in a moment. We don't have a ton of time. I know, I know my clock is counting down. I don't want to hold you guys too long, but I, I do want to pray with you. Remember this, Jeremiah 32, verse 23, 27. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Come on, nothing's too hard for God. Nothing's impossible for Him. What is that thing you're facing? What is that thing you need God to do? What is that situation that you're believing for? I'm telling you what, God can use anyone from anywhere at any time to do absolutely anything. Come on, do you believe it? Do you receive that? Would you